This is episode 60 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Rick McAdoo. He received his master's in speech-language pathology in 1990 from Texas Christian University. Following an externship at the VA hospital in Dallas, Texas, he has worked primarily with adult, the adult neurogenic population with a specialized emphasis in dysphagia. Utilizing a research approach, Rick was the first ever clinician in 1996 to show laryngeal elevation using transcutaneous neuromuscular electrical stimulation on both a computerized laryngeal analyzer and under video fluoroscopy. And Rick is here today. He is the counterpart of Russ Campbell, who was back on episode 19. And I made the mistake in the beginning when I was talking to him of saying that he's the other part, like there's just Rick and Russ, but there's also Rhonda. She's a wonderful woman that she works on a a mobile MBS van down in Texas. She's the third part. So Rhonda, I'm so sorry. Please don't take offense to me leaving you out in the intro there. It's just uh, Rick and Russ, I feel like I see all the time and I never get the pleasure of seeing Rhonda. So um, I don't want anyone to forget that Rhonda's the probably the best part of amp care. So, okay. Um, and also you guys will hear a promo code at the end. Promo code SYP will get you a discount. If you'd like to take this amp care CEU course, I just want to make the disclaimer that I do get a small commission off using that SYP promo code. So hope you enjoy this episode. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Hello, Rick. Hello. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? <laughs> I'm uh, getting used to this video chat business. It is. It's fun. I know. I don't know if people know, but when I do these interviews, I make people get on video and look at me. So like half the time people don't have their hair done or they have like no makeup yeah. and glasses on. They're like, oh my God, I didn't know you're going to be looking at me. But <laughs> I just think the conversation flows so much easier when we can see each other. Well, and- it, it certainly pairs with what we do because I, I joke that my previous modalities were the Flintstones and the Jetsons. If you remember the cartoon, always talked video chat. So yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm now in the Jetsons world. So I'm oh, good. Put a video chat on it. Good, good. All right. Well, today we are with my friend Rick, and he is the other part of Amp Care. I was going to say the better part or the worst part, but yeah. I didn't want to get either of you mad at me. You have to be careful there. Yeah, you listen. Yes, I know. The 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 one half of Amp Care. So we had Russ Campbell was on episode nineteen, and he did it was two B or not two B, um, all about using Amp Care muscle fiber recruitment. Right there, you go. So yep. Now we have Rick here today. So Rick, tell the people a little bit about yourself. So I uh, my name is Rick McAdoo in Fort Worth, Texas. I went to TCU undergraduate and graduate. So I'm a big horn frog. So hopefully you'll capture a few horn frog listeners as you roll through this. Uh, I uh, still live in town. Uh, I've been in. Well, I want you to back up. I think some yeah, people yeah. think you're some like business sales guy, but you're not. No, I'm a speech therapist. I'm a speech tra- yeah. therapist by trade. Yeah. Uh, and, and this whole world of where I'm at now all came about from uh, what I didn't have as an early clinician. I, I 
I joke about that because I had one lecture in dysphagia when I was in grad school, not even in undergrad. And I remember as a group, there were about 15 of us in each class and none of us thought this was, we thought it was silly. It was, uh, it was almost a novel, something someone's working on. It wasn't, it wasn't a big part of our curriculum by any means. And little did I know I'd be at the VA after that in Dallas and 75% of my caseload was about this novel lecture that I had back in my <laughs> So, which made it even more interesting because my supervisors were in their forties. So if I had one lecture, I know they had nothing. So I realized in the field was where a lot of advancement was going to take place. So uh, fortunately, unfortunately, luckily, unluckily, whatever you want to call it, it's where I worked with Russ Campbell yes. uh, in the rehab unit. And um, that's where that's what led me to leave the Flintstones and start merging more towards the Chetsons in regards to modality. So uh, that was in the... <laughs> I guess I graduated undergrad in 88 and graduate in 90. So that ought to give you a mindset of where, how old I am. I think I was in preschool then. So Uh, we don't want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we had a preschool. Just wanted to make you feel old, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, We had school or not school. There was preschool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So what what are we going to talk about today? So, I mean, I, I, Russ and I batted back and forth. I think I've talked with you and we've talked over the years just about some ideas. And I think one of the mindsets, what would help, I think, was to talk about some of the basic philosophy around what is AMP care and what is this effective swallowing protocol? What's the what's the basics behind it, the science, um, the claims, whatever. Uh, so I think some of just the basic philosophy of AMP care would be a a reasonable start if unless you have some mindsets around that and certainly the questions that come out of it uh, we can we can adjust on the fly well i think you know and just from being an outsider i think estim for some reason well for a lot of reasons has taken on just this weird controversy you yeah. know does yep. it work is yep. it effective is it not effective is it a waste of time should we be using it right so i'm you know happy to hear you guys who are therapists working in the trenches have developed this protocol and have some research and some evidence behind it. So, and, uh, I think that's a spot on scenario for me as a clinician. Um, we started working in this arena when I was working with Russ in a standing frame and I had my tongue depressor and my laryngeal mirror, my cup <laughs> of ice and joint commission at that time forced <laughs> us into interdisciplinary care. And it was one of the most intimidating things I think I can remember is walking into the PTOT gym with hundreds of pieces of equipment plugged in and treadmills and stairs and parallel, but everything they would need to, to work with a patient. And I had, and you can't even get a laryngeal. Yeah. Hair. I had the minerals. I had to stick some <laughs> wood, some water. I mean, you know, it's like, okay. And then seeing him put the electrodes on a patient in a standing frame and working exercise with NMES started to make me think. Now this was pre vital stem. This was pre, and there was no, modalities in NMES in the field, but it certainly started me thinking along the lines. I I certainly wasn't going to go out and create my own modality. I barely knew the anatomy. It was a it was a, a memorization test for us. I didn't wasn't applying it like an exercise physiologist would. So working with Russ in mid nineties um, helped me understand that, you know, E STEM or NMES, it's not one thing. It's not like a laryngeal mirror. It's not like a Mendelssohn maneuver. 
You know what I mean? It's not, there's hundreds of ways to provide this modality. And I think as a discipline, we got caught up in certainly any of the research articles that I read and would look through. It was, it was NMES did or didn't do something. It wasn't about the parameters. And I think there's, if, if anything that I learned over my 25 plus years working with Russ is parameters matter. And certainly in regards to the swallowing musculature, while it may be the same histologically, meaning type 2A or type 2, type 1s, type 2A, type 2Bs, it's smaller. It's a very sensitive area. So, and its function is different. So we had to look at it from a different approach. We couldn't just take PT approach and put it on the neck. Yeah. And uh, so I, You're I work I, in teeny I, tiny swallowing yeah, muscles, not quadriceps absolutely here. Right. And, yeah. and how do we want to work them? And, and what can we get to? And I think that's the philosophy or that's the basics that I would like to cover today is I don't care which system you're going to work. How are you going to get to the muscles? Are they even, can you reach them with current? And then how do you want to rehabilitate them? Do you want to follow along the lines of what PT have done over the decades or how are we going to create this difference? So I think that's what I'd like to, to kind of focus on. Yeah. And I, and I want to back you up just a second too, sure. because you mentioned, you know, I, I think a lot of people have these ideas that you just slap on the electrodes and walk away and come back 30 minutes later and your patient's healed. I don't know where people heard that along the lines, but it couldn't be any further from the truth. And Listen, the people that I've trained and and I've been around the world training, on occasion, I have had clinicians tell me that the amp care NMES philosophy is too time intensive. Because it requires you to work with the patient, encourage and work for the patient to get exercise at the same time as the current. The box, the current doesn't do anything other than add some afferent signal to the brain. But it's the exercise and the specificity to that exercise along with that current is going to give you the best bang for your buck. That's the better, faster outcome. Not to your point, it's a they use the set it and forget it approach. Yeah. And yeah. Listen, it's just not that way. And then yeah. PT never taught me that way, and I've certainly never trained it that way. So I'm, I'm kind of amazed that some of us have that mindset. But it is treatment intensive. You will need to be a clinician. Um, I, I joke about it, and you and I are talking on video screen. I'm not going to lift my shirt and show you that I have a one, <laughs> the one pack, but <laughs> the, uh, the abdomicizer is one of those commercials I usually relate to. It's like the guy sitting on the room, you know, with a remote control. Yeah, muscles are just contracting, and he's got a beer and a pizza and a remote control. Well, it's not how it works. Now, yeah, if you do crunches with those on, they'd probably get a better, faster outcome. But. I, I love that analogy, right? Yeah. <laughs> the one pack or the analogy? <laughs> yeah. I, I would just love to sit on the couch with pizza and a beer and have some ab right. exercises working for me. It's yeah. like the movie the. Uh, it was eight minute abs. I think it was one of the yeah. DVDs that came out, and I always joke. I, I have the one minute ab. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> All right. So where are we going from here? All right. So I know Russ talked a lot about the muscle fiber types and the recruitment and how this all works. But one of the first questions I always ask uh, clinicians and and I get typically, I would say 90% of the, of the time I get this response, but what's the best therapy or what's the best exercise for swallowing? And usually I get swallowing and I would agree because it's so synergistic to a lot of muscles there's a systematic approach to what happens in one to one and a half seconds so for us to tease out one port or one part of another i think we need to pair that always with the swallow 
So how can we make that effortful swallow more effortful or more resistive? And pairing that along the lines of neuroplasticity, which is task specificity, repetitive and resistive exercise. So that is essentially what we do with, with AMP Cares and MES. And so what are we looking to do with what can we target? And when you put the electrodes, and like you said, some people will put them on, we've got a picture of patients with electrodes all over the face and the neck and face and eyes and everything. And that was kind of a joke about, hey, we have this new tool, so let's just put it on everywhere. But we have a very targeted approach. And what Russ asked me when I went to him to look at a way to use NMES for swallowing, it was he asked me the question, what are you looking to target? Because, you know, you, NMES, back in the day, you used to ask people, well, what are you stimulating? They would say the swallow, and it would just, it, it's comical. You need to, there's a targeted approach. Whatever's underneath the electrodes superficially is what's going to contract first. So I had to go back and do my research and my homework to find out, oh, yeah, I remember studying a lot of this. But one of the primary impairments I think that we target is that decrease in laryngeal elevation. That's something that we can... Well, we could see subjectively under fluoro, we could see the kinematics of what was going on under fluoroscopy or in, in, in fees, if you're not seeing that anatomy move appropriately, that increases that risk of penetration aspiration. So that's one thing that we know when we do swallow, we can target. And there are three muscles that we can get to, and that's the anterior or gastric, the mylohyoid, depending on the patient, maybe the geniohyoid and depending on the depth of current that they can tolerate. But superficially, that's what you can target. Now, if you want to change up not targeting laryngeal elevation, and maybe you're concerned about laryngeal depression, which I don't know why you would be, but there are three muscles that you could target, if potentially four, below the hyoid. And those mar muscles' uh, function is to bring the hyoid down. So we spoke and, and looked at and targeted specifically just what's going to promote and facilitate the high laryngeal elevation. Now, the stimulation in its own right, I think even early on in my thinking was, hey, if we can just get all of that movement from the stimulator, hey, I think we're, we're halfway or maybe all the way there. It's nothing about that. It's Those are the muscles that I can target to help facilitate that movement. But every one of our exercises is paired with an effortful swallow. So I'm, I'm going to lay down some groundwork on actually what we see is happening in the kinematics. So the first start is uh, the, the range of motion of that hyolaryngeal complex. How can we facilitate it? We're not creating all of the larynx to move. I can't stimulate all of those muscles. They're too deep. But the three muscles that I can get to will create this stretching effect to the laryngeal vestibule. So if, if your listeners can... Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep my mindset in the fact that we're talking video, but they're probably listening in their car. If you think about the, the larynx, if I stimulate the muscles that move the hyoid, but I don't take the, the larynx doesn't come along with it. So the larynx is at rest. The hyoid gets stretched forward and upward. The posterior pharynx is going to get put to a stretch because the hyoid move in the laryngeal vestibule is going to open. And when that happens, that stretch reflex wants to bring the hyoid back. But that laryngeal vestibule being larger makes the patient swallow and overcome and increase size of the airway, if that makes sense. So it's that overcoming of that resistance, that intrinsic resistance that creates an effortful exercise for those patients. All right. And certainly the, the type 2B muscle fibers that, you know, to do an effortful swallow is going to be beneficial. But for our elderly patients, 
uh, the means and what physical therapy and occupational figured out. If you utilize a modality that can recruit that type 2B muscle fiber at the very beginning exercise, that's going to allow your elderly patients and some of your patients that are difficult time with a lot of exercise to get more efficient exercise early. And we know better faster right now in today's environment is always better than eventually. So yeah. I think anybody would agree that a better faster would be a way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of speaking towards in regards to my mental outline, you know, what we do and, and how we're facilitating that movement and then what muscles we're targeting. Um, and so those location and just, just a little bit of talk about the electrodes and, and the parameters that, that I think are so essential because if you just take a physical therapy approach and say, Hey, well, typically physical therapists use this mode out, this, this phase duration, this frequency, uh, this intensity, and you put that on the neck, it's going to be a lot more uncomfortable. So I think comfort has to be paramount for these patients. I don't care if it's going to sting like a wasp every time I put it on, or if it's going to yeah. sting like someone's spoken me with needles. It, it may cure me, but I don't want to go through that. I'm, I think it's, to me, it's like chalkboard scratching. Yeah. But if it's, if it can keep it at a low level and still get this muscle to contract and contract for five seconds, middle, like a Mendelssohn type exercise, and it can be comfortable. I think that's where the electrodes come in. That's where the parameters come in. So I think that that's one of the most important things for everyone out there to understand is when you review or hear of an NMES approach, whether it did or didn't do something, the first question in my mind, since I've been in this industry with Russ for a while, is what parameters were they using and what were their placements of the electrodes? Because if I'm putting them on the face and I'm hoping for laryngeal elevation, I, I'm not going to buy that. It's just it's probably not, not going to get it. Yeah, yeah. Not buy it. Well, and as you said too, that the exercise is so much more important yeah, as well. Exactly. Just set it and forget it. I think you're spot on there. So I think when we when when Russ and I went through this process um, and and figuring out what was what was comfortable, what what was able to get us uh, the movement, and what what was able to get that and provide that comfortably. We start looking at the kinematics because, you know, early on, even before some of the validated scales, when we were doing some of our initial data, it was, what are the clinicians looking? And then it was, can I advance their diet? I mean, if they're on puree thick liquids, are they leaving on regular liquids and thin liquids? You know, that the mindset of some of the clinicians. And I think that's always important. And uh, Dr. Rosenbeck, who came by uh, TCU, and one of the first questions he asked us was, do you have any swall qual data? And I, I wasn't thinking of that, you know, at that time. And, you know, it, it makes a big difference because if I pat myself on the back because I completely eliminated your penetration and aspiration and you can swallow everything safely from my assessment, but you're going home with three cubed ice cream, warm pureed boluses of something and you're drinking a Dairy Queen Blizzard for your meals. I haven't done anything. You're not right. going to thrive and survive. So it's very important to make sure that, that you know, from the swall qual standpoint, even that the patients agree with what your care and your your results of your assessment and also your treatments are. So I think we've got some really good swall qual data in that regard too. But what we started to look at, and we're very excited to have access to now some of the new software that's out. Um, we had initially access to uh, one called Swallowtail. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. That's a, yep some fluoroscopic uh, capabilities to 
basically click, click and measure so we can look at speed, uh, angles of the epiglottic inversion. Um, now I tell you what I'm, I'm probably most excited about is that Tim system that they have. Yeah. And, uh, some of my colleagues over there in the, Bo- the Boston area are working yeah. on it. So, uh, <laughs> we, we're getting a lot of our clinical or clinicians that are working in research looking at that so we can talk about you know, what are the kinematics, what's going on within that intrinsic exercise that you call ESP. And I mean, I can go through a couple of those steps if you think. Yeah, yeah. Official. Yeah, please do. If I'm tracking down the right trend here. Yeah. But if we pair this stimulation, this contraction with an effortful swallow, um, there's a couple of ways that we can create that. One of them, that intrinsic resistance that I spoke of, but we look at all of the kinematics or I, I would consider anatomic inference anatomical inference if i pull the hyoid forward and upward that's from the stimulation but when i pull the hyoid forward and upward the base of the tongue is facilitated from that anatomical chain pull so it's not the stimulation that's doing it but it is from that hyo or the uh, hyoglossus that's connected so if i'm moving one structure to facilitate some of the other movement it's happening and we're seeing that in some of our new um data that we're able to tease out so we're facilitating that but again a lot of what everyone does in the industry now is we want to take something under fluoro and put whatever it is on and let's see what happens under fluoro and i I think one thing to to impress on the listeners is when this technique is on those five seconds of stimulation we aren't providing a bolus we're changing that physiology for five seconds and increasing the airway opening and what we're doing is creating a, a potential for a, a compromised patients to have more of a challenge than they need. So because it's challenging, because it changes that physiology, for those five seconds of an effortful swallow, we do that in a dry swallow fashion. Now we can always pause, and I think boluses are always important. Pause, work bolus according to what the patient can do. But after that bolus and kind of catch them up because they'll get dry. They'll get parched, actually, even the droolers and uh, people that have that increased secretions. So unpause it and get back to work. So we start working the base of the tongue with the swallow. We know when we can improve that hyolaryngeal elevation, that hyoid movement, that the hyoepiglottic ligament will allow for more retroversion. And then we get that stretching effect of the laryngeal vestibule that I talked about. And that posterior pharyngeal wall that gets put to stretch, creates that intrinsic resistance. Uh, but certainly as you get to that, if you can get improved range of motion, and I think that's one of the terms that as a speech therapist coming out of grad school and then starting to work more with a, in an interdisciplinary care approach, we're into the exercise mode. We didn't come out of school. We were aphasia and dysarthria. Dysarthria was our exercise, exercise physiology. But now we're talking about increased movement, and we're in a movement clinician role, in my opinion. So let's start doing that. How can we add increased resistance? We can't add it. Russ always, will, and one of the things I think is comical is I think about, he's like, we want this little restorator under our chin, like the patients get put on and the, the parallel bars or the hand pedals. On a little arm the bike, bed. yeah. Yeah, we want a little bike in our muscles. It's hard for us to add weights to that. So what do we do with, with Ampcare's philosophy? We add repetitions. So we start with 60 uh, effortful swallows with the stimulated trials. 
work towards 72 and then 90, but it's, it's an 80% accuracy approach before you add more of those repetitions. And certainly if you go from 60 to 72 to 90 stimulated swallows, you're getting what I guess, I don't know if you agree with the best exercise for swallowing is swallowing. I don't know if that's something you agree with. I hear yes, some, very people, much so. yeah. some people will tell me it depends and I, I'm like, okay, well, uh, on, give me some. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when it would. Whatever not. it is, I think if we pair it with a swallow, that's going to create the least resistive in an effort for minimizing that maladaptive behavior. I want to create as much of that same movement that should be happening and so when we do that repetitively, um, I think that's where we're starting to look at uh, functional MRI and some of the different things. The EEG, even there was a poster. We just finished the uh, uh, ACRM conference, the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine here in Dallas, and there was a poster on EEG. Uh, they were looking at concussions and some other uh, localization impact from TBI strokes and looking at that as a way to demonstrate if you do a lot of exercise you know, we're starting to find ways to document did we change that kinematic effect. And I think that's where we're at now. And I'm excited about some of the technology that's out there. Yeah. So where am I now in your, in your mind? I'm still talking about some of the kinematics. I talked about the hyaluepiglottic ligament, how allowing for more retroversion. And then if we create that stretch and we move that airway, improve that movement, we're going to shallow the velecular and piriform. If the velecular and piriform get in a normal swallowing movement, it shallows. It creates more of a straight tube, if you will, as opposed to this captured cupping effect when they're not getting good movement to capture that bolus on its way down. So we want to improve that movement to shallow the velecular and piriform. And then the science is now supporting that correlation, certainly of the anterior hyoid movement combined with that laryngeal elevation to relax the opening of UESPS. And manometry is the first thing that's coming to mind in that regard. There's a lot of great manometric, even biofeedback now uh, that, that's looking into ways to all of those kinematics from tongue base retraction, uh, pharyngeal squeeze, uh, UESPES relaxation, you know, esophageal all the way to lower esophageal sphincter opening. So there's some, a lot of things that we're starting to utilize to document what it is we're doing, but ultimately, you can capture those type 2B muscle fibers, do it with an effortful swallow repetitively, create resistance. And then the last part of it is that brace that we use. And I've, people, I think, have commented or seen it. Maybe they haven't. But I think in the notes section that I sent you, you'll see one of the fluoroscopic pictures from Japan where they you can actually yeah. see the brace in there. But the other option, you can increase that resistance from the pharyngeal squeeze and that posterior pharyngeal wall getting put to stretch. But the other way you can do that is mimic like a Shakir exercise. What we were able to find was by head lift to gravity, using gravity as that resistance, you get about 25 microvolt uh, feedback or nerve conduction in uh, surface EMG. But if you sit them in a chair and then do this chin to chest into this brace, like a chin tuck against resistance, into this brace, which pushes back, you can increase that nerve conduction to 50 microvolts. So more nerve conduction, activate those muscles that you're targeting, and then pair it with that swallow. And I think that's what we're able to start demonstrating now. Awesome. I love it. And in the in the notes, there's some pictures of this stuff yeah, too. Yeah, so I think they've are, got a couple of pictures, in yeah. fact. Um, and I can comment on that if, uh, if they're by chance looking at the notes. But the bottom pictures in the notes, the patient at rest and the patient that's 
it says receiving AmpCare's ESP, when the stimulation is on and recognizing that this is just a patient at rest, see what happens when the current is on. There are There's one line on the left, and then on the right picture, when the stimulation comes on, the way I like to describe it is there's actually two lines on the left, and then when the second picture and the stem comes on, those two lines are separated, and that's where it shows that stretching of the laryngeal vestibule. One of the first times I showed this to some key opinion leaders, I and this was 2000, early 2000s, mid-2000s, uh, when we kind of thought we had the mindset right, we had the comfort right, we had the electrode design, the parameters, we were starting the FDA process, and when they saw that under fluoro, there was a collective gasp because stimulation came on and it was a... <gasps> Because you saw this laryngeal vestibule opening, which is counterintuitive if you're thinking there's something compensatory about it. But one thing I could, Russ and I stomp our feet when it's important in our lectures and if it's on the test and those kinds of things. But one thing that I can, I want to stress is there's nothing compensatory about this technique. It's an exercise. It's going to tax the system. There's nothing to suggest that when this is on, they're safe. In fact, I'm going to argue they may be at more at risk to have an intake during that five seconds of stimulation, but it's an exercise. And I think that's where as clinicians, we come out of grad school nowadays, the what is the traditional approach for speech therapy, for swallowing therapy? And I don't know that they come out. I, I ask PTs, if you have a hip fracture, is there a hip protocol? You bet. Every PT is going to tell you you're going to do X, Y, Z, and A, B, and C. If it's an ACL repair, a knee, and but when we come out, it's, you know, we don't train on any of these modalities in grad school to date. Right. You're doing fees. Did you learn fees in undergrad or grad? Heck no. We had one slide on it in Can grad you school. Imagine? And I think that as a discipline, I think we're, we're headed in that direction, but we're expecting a lot out of our grad students to get out of school and go, okay, I know everything there is to know, hopefully, about all of these things I'm going to treat. Now I have to go find out what can I use. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna pair you with the tongue depressor and the laundromere and the ice, <laughs> yeah. and you get to go look. And then, you know, half the time it's not a clinician talking to you; it's a it's a company. And if a company's yeah. talking to you, you almost want to put the cross up and say, "Get back." So right. we're we're trying to maintain as best we can, you know, a clinical approach to provide something. That's where I was. I had my Flintstones, and I was looking to get to the Jetsons, right? Yeah. So I think that's I think the discipline's headed that way. I know a few professors that are working towards that, but that's another soapbox. That's the four hour. That's the four hour. Yeah. 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 We'll sell tickets to that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I love it, Rick. And then the, the last, I mean, one of the last things and we can talk and chat and ask questions if you have some, but I think the last most important thing is some of the most recent research that came out by Chris Watts. I think I attached that whole study to my notes. I don't know if you want to share it that way or how you wanted to manage it, but, um, he just presented at ACRM there in Dallas. But the latest okay. research, I think, is exciting because it's showing what it is that we're actually doing. So I know the patients want us to say, hey, you're, you're somebody posted a meme, and I've seen it a few times on Facebook or some of the groups that I think it's Oprah, and they're saying, you're, you get thin liquids, you get thin liquids. Yep, yep. I think that's ultimately what our patients want. They don't. They yeah. don't want to know. Hey, you guess what? Your your hyoid is now <laughs> a superior right. your movement from <laughs> right. four millimeters to now twelve. Yes, right. Awesome. Yes. They're, they want to know what am I going to eat? So I, I get it, and I think that's where right. we're all going to be working towards anyway. But from the kinematic effect, the science behind what we do, 
uh, everything needs to pair and, and shape up. I mean, in, in regard, and shape up is probably not the right word, but pair up. If I claim something or I suggest something by me putting something somewhere and hoping something happens off of that, I think that kinematic chain comes to mind. So what we do is, can you discuss that you're making it resistant, this exercise? And I think this is what this most recent research here in 2018 suggests is it demonstrates even in normal subjects. If I do normal dry swallows and I get five of those, let's say, um, and then we're going to put you through 10, what I would consider, if you want to call it perturbation, perturbated swallows, resistive swallows, however you want to pair that exercise up. But typically you would think that the exercise is going to be harder. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be harder then if you're talking measurements in time, maybe the time would be longer because it's more resistance. But there's a, there's a couple of things that happen within this first trial, which I found interesting, but also encouraging. The pre-assessment was the dry swallows. I'm going to give you an average here. It wasn't, it's not, uh, it's not exact, um, but uh, and if you take an average on some of these patients that we evaluated, around 387 milliseconds to do dry swallows on an average. Well, those five dry swallows, if you did those, it would be about 387 milliseconds. Okay, that's a there's a thousand milliseconds in one second, so 387 to get those dry swallows to the laryngeal vestibule to close, not the full swallowing effect. And that is using 30 frames per second, where you can tick that device. And I think that's another thing that the discipline needs to start working towards is getting the fiber optic assessment, the instrumental assessments, and the the uh, the, the mobile or the the fluoroscopy, those imaging, you have to have that instrumentation to find out all of these things of what you're doing and then be able to document it. But if you're looking at that in 30 frames per second where you can truly tick 30 times in one seconds of movement and find out is the laryngeal vestibule open or is it closed? And if you do that, even across different assessment uh, rate or reliability, you can certainly at 30 frames per second tick that along and find that out when it actually closes. And what we saw with the dry swallows before any interventions, I'm saying on average 387 milliseconds. When you did the 10 effortful swallows, perturbated swallows, resistive swallows, however you want to look at it with the amp care technique, it went to 317. So it sped up a little bit, but it also created this resistance. So even though it's faster than the dry, there's a couple of arguments there. One is that it is because, which I think, we're facilitating that movement as well. So it's not just, it's resistive in the box side, but it's facilitative on that anterior motion of the hyoid side. So those, those subjects were able to get through that at around 317 milliseconds. And then you remove that effort and that perturbation and you have them do their five dry swallows again immediately after that, 257. Crazy. Um, there's a 30% increase in that risk so that just shows now i don't know that i'm going to say hey if we can just get your swap laryngeal vestibule to close in 250 milliseconds you're all set yeah but it does demonstrate an effect of an exercise because i think a lot of what we're doing now is hey the immediate effect and i it kind of drives me bananas i want to know what's going on but it's not what we need in rehab we need true patients going through these trials of these processes whatever we're talking about 
at ASHA or DRS or whatever it is as far as our treatment goes. We need patients to be able to go through. They deserve it. We need to advocate for that. Those patients need that time. So put patients through the, the, the task and, and we want to be able to demonstrate that not only are these kinematic chains happening, the patients are swall qual data is coming back that's positive and we're getting good, efficient results. I think that's the main thing. Not not what happened under flora with, you know, normals or what happened to the immediate effect. Because I know swallowing, it's not a it's not a, you know, 10 sessions, one minute each, we can get you out of there, you know, get you swallowing. It's a rehab approach and rehab yeah, yeah. over a period of time. So. Well, and I don't think any PT or, you no. know, personal trainer or anybody is going to make those kind of promises. No. I'd love to know that I could go to the gym 10 times and yeah, be 10 skinny. Times, but 30 minutes does... a day. In my yeah. Like, yeah, good. I've done yeah. that. That's why I look yeah. like I look. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is that, I don't know if that's, um, hopefully that's helpful in, re- in relation to what we're doing as a technique and what Very our mindset is. And, and we, listen, there, there, you talked about E-STEM and NMES at the beginning of the call. And, and just to tie all that back in, it, there's a lot of confusion out there. The water, we call it, it's murky. It's muddy. Because people are saying one thing is NMES and it does one thing. And, it, and what we do is NMES. I, I mean, if, if, you, if you're not getting a muscle to contract, and we only do that for five seconds. You don't want to muscle contracting constantly. I think that's one of those misnomers from a larger muscle even. You wouldn't want to, in an exercise protocol, just maintain this contraction the whole time. You want to do more repetitive resistance, especially when it's swallowing and it's one to one and a half seconds each time. Let's make it faster. It's work, 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 and then get them a rest, recuperate, period. But we, we just need to to make sure that there are different ways. I think our intermediaries, our insurance coverage, um, everyone's looking at NMES as it's just one thing. And I think the speech therapist, and I'm being one of them, kind of that was our mindset. We didn't know the questions to ask. So now when it comes to fruition where we have access to different ways to use it, we need to differentiate them and understand the differences. And I, I think that's another thing that is somewhat surprising in that you know, we do an eight-hour ASHA advanced dysphagia CE to train on this. We don't want a clinician just going, hey, give it to me. Let me turn it on and put it on. You've got to understand the philosophy. You've got to understand the anatomy and physiology and the kinematics before you start putting that on a patient. I can't let a patient go through something that no one's trained on how to do. But just learn it. Go to everything. I mean, I think there's yeah. a lot of great things out there for our clinicians, and we need to advocate for our patients and learn everything there is and then be the clinician. But if I don't know it all, then I can't advocate for it all. Yeah. Can you, um, can you talk a little bit more about the parameters, Rick, like why yeah, you guys perfect. decided the, Absolutely. cause if it's my, if it's my understanding, that's kind of the difference with all the different NMES companies is that everyone yep. promotes different parameters. Yep. I mean, I don't okay. know that they promote different parameters. I think we're as a, as an industry talking about NMES and whether it is or isn't. And I think, uh, I think that's spot on when you look at the parameters and amp cares, uh, philosophy, we took a long time. We were out before the, the market leader. I'm not going to throw names around, but we were working on this and we wanted to make sure we had it right. And one of the things that you will look in the in the literature, and Lucinda Baker's uh, in one of my references. In fact, it's one of my, I would call that my earth shattering uh, research to get my mindset right because yeah. I didn't know anything about it. And there's a handbook, you know. I think that was fantastic. And 
PTs and OTs don't just treat glutes and arms and quads and biceps. I mean, they, they do hands and arm. There's some thin muscles that they know how to treat. So, you know, that, that's why you have all of these different ways. So Ampere's philosophy and, and the literature would show most muscles in your body will contract at 30 hertz. So that's how many times in one second does that current pulse? And if you pulse in one second, 30 hertz for most muscles. So if I can get most of my muscles to contract at 30 hertz, and these are some of the thinnest Band-Aid thin muscles in a very rich and diverse sensory system area, what do you think Ampere chose to use? 30 hertz. That's what the literature shows. So it's not like, I think as clinicians and speech therapists need to understand this NMES has been out decades. We're talking in the sixth decade, probably. Uh, I know some research we quoted in the 50s. So uh, NMES and parameters are very important. So 30 hertz is what we use in that regard. Uh, the phase duration is the depth of the current and how deep do we want that current to go. But the higher that phase duration and the deeper the current, you also risk pain. So if you risk pain, you're going to minimize your or and even eliminate your chance to get that muscle to contract because the patients will say, turn it down. I can't tolerate it. So the phase duration is depth of current and it also is related to the intensity. So we use a very low phase duration and we are allowed to use a lot more intensity because of that parameter. And we are not concerned necessarily about so deep in the current because these muscles are paired. They're right on top of each other and they're superficial enough. And our documentation has shown we can get them to move. And that's the important thing. Get them to move. That's the recruitment philosophy. If you go back to Russ's, what was it? 19, I think. Yeah. Episode 19. If you look at NMES recruits those muscles in reverse of what our body does. Our body will go type one, then type two, then type two B. And NMES with exercise it's going to be better faster because you're recruiting that type 2B from the very first effortful swallow you do. So that allows you to give them the opportunity to get that better, faster outcome. So when you have that parameter, it's not using such a deep current, so it's a lower phase duration, you have a lot more intensity to get to that muscle to contract. And then how long do you require that muscle to contract? If you want a good contraction, which I would suggest to any clinician who's wanting to do NMES, there are some other means and ways and discussions on using just sensory stimulation. I'm not going to say sensory is good or bad. I think it's good. I think anything we can do to that area, afferently to the brain, but we want that efferent contraction paired with that so that they can get that cortical remodeling started and that neuroplasticity started. So we want not only sensory, and you can't get motor unless you go through sensory. And then the six cranial nerves in the swallow. Now, I know you say five. You don't like. Is it a spinal accessory I think you don't like on the cranial nerve assessment? I oh, I don't know. I'm only, I'm only joking. Oh, okay. Six cranial nerves in the swallow. All six have a motor nerve root. Four of the six have sensory and motor, but all six have a motor nerve root. So we want to, in our opinion, our clinical opinion, we want to get sensory and motor approach. So that's what we want to do. And those parameters allow you to do that. And so that on to off time is important. You want to have repetitive, resistive exercise and rest and recuperate. And that's just basic exercise physiology there. All so right. That, that's hopefully that helps. There, we go into that in depth. Um, yeah. A lot of techniques out there. When I ask some of the people, oh, I'm already, and I used to hear this, and this is my uh, 
Kleenex to facial tissue kind of uh, argument is like, oh, you either do vital stem or you do NMES or you do this technique or this technique. It's it's a matter of the parameters. I, I hope as a discipline we start talking about those parameters because they really matter. I think they mask a lot of our problems if All we're right. not focusing on those for sure. Well, thanks for going into that, Rick. I yeah, just yeah. assumed it was like, you know, you and Russ were having a beer one day and just decided to you know what? You would shoot for that, those but, numbers. Uh, luckily for us, <laughs> I think ninety-three was that reference. It's in your references there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Absolutely. We did have we had a lot of beers. And let me tell a you a lot of beers before you decided uh, on the parameters. Yeah. I was the guinea pig because he worked the machine. So I was I was going through all of those parameters that we were hoping to use and thank God we're not using now because they were not good. But so yeah, we went through excessive amounts of that. So we want them to, we want the clinicians to understand the science behind that. I think if we're going to be a modality clinician, we need to be trained in that and have a very good understanding. Not, not a here, here it is, turn it on, turn it off, set it, forget it. We need to understand what we're targeting and Absolutely. what we can do and maybe be, help the patients out. It's not one, it's not for everybody either. It's just a, it's a modality tool. Learn it. You like it, you use it. If you don't, you, you move on. But, yeah. You know, no more. You do better if you know more. That's the way yeah. I like Well, and I think what I always say is I, you know, some patients were just, I think if you have a tool that can help a patient, you owe it to that patient to at least try it. Right. Right. I think you're right. And I, I think, especially in our industry and in our, and our times where we're needing more for less, you know, yeah. they're expecting it. I mean, we had patients when we started this technique, uh, our hospital had inpatient, outpatient, 10-bed rehab. We, I, we even did some home health from the hospital. There's not even a rehab in that facility. Everybody is like, your stroke has resolved and you were going somewhere for your therapy. And so, you know, it, those patients are confused. They're getting shuffled around once they're stable. So I think it's very important to to provide them some opportunities and not just, hey, we tried this and if it did or didn't work, you know, to throw your hands up. I think we need to be at least trained and know as much as we can for sure. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. Would would you guys suggest this for like inpatient rehab or acute care therapists? So say they only have a patient for a week or two. Do you think you can make some progress with this in a short period of time? I I, I think so. I think, um, and I think our goal is, and we're gearing up for some trials that will tease out and control for spontaneous recovery. And I, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent here, but I know some, a lot of our trials, we've waited one month before we started our intervention using AMP care. But we know in our discipline, there is no patient that is going to be relied on full, just spontaneous recovery, right? No one's going to sit there and go, no, don't touch him for right. one month. Let's see what the stroke does and let's see what's residual. Someone's going to be working with them. So I, I think the more you can get to these patients, the better. I think there's edema, there's some swelling effects to some strokes, which I think are the ideal patients. And when you can get to them, when they're resolved, sooner the better. They have that chance to lose less. So can you make, I think that's what we'll be able to demonstrate hopefully is, you know, I think the, I think any rehab capability is the the sooner, the better. Um, And I think you could also minimize the intensity of the rehab down the road. Yeah. If you're able to get to them sooner with a, with an aggressive form of, of neuroplasticity type rehab, and that's that resistive exercise, the repetitive and very task specific early on. Yeah. 
I think you have a chance for some of those pathways to to pick up the slack sooner. And I think you could minimize the end points of those re- those rehab stays that are one and two days down the road that are trying to pick up the slack that didn't get picked up early. But um, I certainly, my philosophy would be sooner the better and, and intensity is important early on. Yeah. I think there's a lot of researchers that would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I would agree. Well, awesome, Rick. Did I confuse everyone? No, stop it. Not at all. That was fantastic. I don't have anything else. Do you have any, any final words, anything else to add? Listen, I think, uh, you, you do a fantastic job. And I think, uh, this, this media platform that you have and the, the messaging you have has been tremendous. So I thank you for allowing me to be on with you. And I, I, I appreciate course. your relationship with Ampcare, not only at ashes and the, the social activities, but the clinical activities as well. I think that's, a uh, you're doing a great service for all the patients. And I think now that you have this platform, you're touching a lot of lives across the country, even the world. So I, I appreciate you doing this. Of course. Thank you so much for playing along. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cheers, everyone. Thank you so much. All right. So Rick, so if people want to learn more about AmpCare and MES, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's one last thing I wanted to make sure we covered. And, and uh, the Swallow Your Pride podcast which we were just discussing and had the discussion on the SYP uh, coupon code with our company. So if you're interested in our ASHA CE training, it's offered for eight advanced hours. Uh, We have it online. You can use the swallow your pride code um, and get a $50 discount off of the online training. Um, And then also it's $50 off of the live training if we're coming into your area. And also if they're interested in us coming out to do a, we'll do, uh, even a, a, a Zoom call like this with their clinicians to just have Q&A. If you have questions about it, if you want us to come to you guys for a CE training, we're happy to do that as well. But um, And I think there was some confusion on the code. If you're getting the equipment, that's the largest discount you're going to get. But uh, if certainly if you're just interested in learning about it, that's where you'll be able to use that SYP uh, coupon code and certainly check us out. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Yeah, I know. I think people ask me why the they can't have the equipment discounted. I think you said there's like a FDA thing. It's a, it's a regulation that we have to sell. The equipment has to be sold the same to everyone. I can't I can't sell to one company or one individual lower than to the other one. So we have to maintain the integrity of the products that we sell. But the training, I can certainly um, manipulate. So that's one of the reasons we provide that for you guys. Beautiful. So, um, yes, I'll post there. The website will be in the show notes as well. So you guys can click that link and go check them out. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.